it's good to be here this morning and open the word up and, and uh, have this message. January 2016, we started uh, preaching about revival. And we preached from Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 7.14, and then we, from there, we moved into uh, preaching on a series on gospel essentials. Because th- that's the key. It's the, it's the one and only truth that will reconcile a rebel to God, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we, we spent a number of weeks preaching on the gospel essentials. And now for the last month and a half or so, we've highlighted the results of the gospel that ought to be holiness and humility. Well, we spent about a month and a half on holiness. And let me just be very clear. We could never be done with holiness. It's a, it's a matter and a subject that you and I need to continue just soaking in and learning more of His holiness, of His true character. But now we take this little shift and move into this topic of humility. If you will think through Second Chronicles 7.14, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to just read it to you. If my people, if my people, not everyone is God's people. But if my people, obviously the implication there is that you know the gospel. And what was announced for this coming Saturday, right? Saturday, a gospel training time. Listen, it's the most important issue of the believer's life is the gospel. And it's the most important thing for an unsaved person. That's the most important thing for an unsaved person to hear. Because in that is the love of God. There's the love of God. Is It's found in the gospel. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And we said back in January, it's like everyone in here would say, oh yeah, I want revival. Anyone not want revival? And I put you on the spot, right? You're not going to raise your hand. The idea is that we need revival. And the, the person that's been the Christian the longest in here... Maybe it's been 70 years that you've been a Christian. I don't know. You understand that you need revival in your life being the oldest believer around. We call you Methuselah. (laughs) No, but really, why do we need revival? My heart still wanders. Your heart still gets deceived and, you know, we still wander off. 
and we've got to come back just like we do here on a, like on a Sunday or at Bible study night or whatever and come back and be reviewing the things. I need to hear them again and again. So in light of holiness, we walk in humility. That's the idea behind this, this month of what we're going to be preaching about. In light of holiness, we walk in humility. We've got all sorts of different people here, different lifestyles, different looks and all that. But the, the things that we need is God's holiness and humility. That's what we need. And that's one of the keys of revival. And guess what? Maybe that's why we don't see revival that much. Why? Because we're allowing that subtle pride to keep going in our lives. It's not like we can uh, totally kill off the pride in our lives. It just somehow keeps popping up. If you check your backyard uh, tomorrow morning, you're going to have another weed popping up in your backyard. That's what it's like with my pride. My pride just wants to keep popping up and I go pull it. I got to pull it from the root, right? Pull it up. You got to keep doing that. No matter how old you are or young you are, you just keep going after the root of the pride. Go, go after it. Keep pulling it up. Okay? So in light of holiness, we want to walk in humility and there's, here's, we're going to look at a lot of verses, but the one verse that we use as our springboard here this morning is Isaiah 57, verse 15. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bible, you can follow along in the outline that's in the bulletin. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The first half of this verse in Isaiah 57:15 is really elaborated on in a more detailed way throughout Isaiah chapter 40 through 46. Continually it is uh Isaiah is bringing up the praise of God, the greatness of God. God asking questions through the prophet Isaiah saying, "Who is like me?" To whom will you liken me that I would be his equal? I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. The whole idea behind this is exalting a great and mighty God. And what's my problem? What's your problem? <laughs> we, we are in a world that minimizes God and maximizes man. So, the idea of humility, how does humility uh, start up in my life or your life? Well, number one, it's to raise up high views of God. Raise up high views of God. Consider why this verse is here 
in Isaiah 57. Why it's stated in here. You read the whole chapter and it's clear. Isaiah has, through God, speaking through Isaiah the prophet, he has condemned the sin problem of idolatry within Israel. You look at how verse 15 starts. It says, for thus says the one. Who? The high and exalted one. And so, here's what we need to do. We need to take this first phrase and use it in a contrasting way. Let's think about what I say or what man says. So, letter A under number one is you mark out the tendencies. You mark out the tendencies that we have. The tendencies that we have along with the cultural trends. What's the cultural trend about who God is? Well, you know, a lot of things pop up on the radar, but it's like, oh, you know, God's, God is so good. God is, God is so good. He's not gonna, He's not gonna send anyone to hell. How could anyone think of God sending anyone to hell? Or, or things like God doesn't judge, so don't you judge me. You know, all those kind of things pop up. And that's a cultural trend, a cultural tendency to define God in that way. We don't want God, you know, messing up our party. You know, there's a lot of people that just want everything positive. And I'm not talking about the party scene. I'm talking about churches. Churches want everything. Oh, let's have everything positive. You know, and if you you say anything wrong against some group or whatever, oh, you're being so mean. Well, we need to define God from the Word of God, not from our own ideas, not from our own speculations. Okay? It's really poor theology to make God into a grandfather figure. You know, being a grandfather now, I love to talk to other grandpas. This is, this is wonderful. I love being a grandpa. Okay? But God's not a grandpa. God is going to deal with sin. He will judge sin. God is perfect. We've talked about this. He's perfect in holiness. Okay? And here in this passage, it says His name is holy. That's what we ought to, you know, we can refer to Him as holy. Holy Father. Holy God. And apart from the teaching, listen, apart from the teaching of Scripture, we will always have a problem accurately defining God. Apart from Scripture. Because my mind or your mind will we'll, we'll make God into what? Make God into our own image. So remember, who said this in Isaiah 57, 15? It wasn't the Pope. It wasn't the President. It wasn't some priest... It was the prophet who was being faithful to his calling, responding to what God told him. God declared, here's who I am. And specifically in this, in this one verse, here's a, a word of encouragement for the faithful remnant returning from exile. Notice the previous verse in verse 14. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of the people, of my people. Okay? So it's really, here's God's encouragement. 
Now, he will continue, you know, his mercy's been revealed here in verse 15, because it's going to be talking about, you know, being contrite and lowly. Israel has stumbled and rebelled against God. They've been chasing after their uh, the idols of their heart and the idols of other nations. And God's going to continue to confront them and judge them for their waywardness. Now, with that being said, you and I need to remember the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10 gives us warning about not being like who? Israel as a nation. And it's easy for us to sit in our day and age and read the Bible and condemn, kind of subtly condemn Israel. Oh, look at Israel. They did it again. There they went again. They did this. They did that. They, I mean, they had it so easy. I mean, come on. They, they should have known God's leading them. Why did they mumble? Why did they grumble? Now, you and I be honest. You never do that? Do I do that? Yeah. I, I have to admit, I do that. I, I complain, I grumble. And here, I've got the revealed message of God. The, here's the revealed word of God. You don't need, you know, something super cool, super special. You just need, you and I need to continue in the things of the truth. The word of God. When you let the word of God speak to your heart about who God is, okay, now... What's the response? The response ought to be humility. Why? Because God in the word is continually being exalted. Who is like me? Who's my equal? There is no one. I'm going to I'm not going to share my glory with anyone. And what do I try to do? I, I continually come up trying to grasp a little glory. You know, I want to be noticed. I want this or that. And it can happen in different ways in each one of our hearts. And so the idea is, in the light of God's true character, we respond in humility. Okay? So we, you know, letter A, we mark out the tendencies. Letter B, we magnify the truths about God. That's the, uh, that's the other contrast, the other side to it. We magnify who God is. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, thus says the high and the exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. So the idea is that you and I would learn. See, it's not something that just comes to us at a snap of a finger or going to a seminar, or going to a camp, or whatever. It's something that you continue to learn in. And you learn to recognize, here's what God has said. And so it is. Amen and amen. It's a principle we must practice to magnify the truth about God and who He is. It's like, we say, oh yeah, I get that. And yet we have to keep coming back to this challenge and be challenged by this to truly respond in a life situation to magnify God. Just start, you know, it's easy to read this verse. It might be that this Isaiah 57, 15 is familiar and we race through it. We kind of read through it because we're familiar with the, the, the lingo Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. We kind of race through it 
and we not need to stop and ask, you know, or stop and just take it one by one. He is the one. There's no one like him. He is the one who is. You know, he exists. He's there. How often do we get to thinking, well, I don't know, you know, it doesn't feel like God's there. No, he is and he is there. He is always there who was and is and always will be. He's never had a beginning, okay? Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me, Isaiah says in chapter 43. He is the one who is high and lifted up, towering above all else besides Him. Nothing compares to Him in all of His majesty and power. My mind needs to get stretched about who God is. Why? Because my mind has been conditioned to the things of this life of the temporal world. And so our minds need to be stretched to more of the things that are what? Eternal. Now, I can't understand all that, but I I want my mind to be stretched in that way more and more. He's the one who inhabits eternity. Try to wrap your mind around that. If I, you know, if I preach for two hours here, you know, you, you guys would kind of be doing this action, looking at me, then looking at your watch, looking at me, looking at the watch. Why? Because we're trapped in time. We got a Eagle Scout ceremony to do here. We got a, a meeting to have later on this afternoon and I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm traveling this, all that stuff. And here God is. He's the one who, what? Inhabits eternity. He lives eternally. Isaiah 43 again. And I am God, even from eternity I am He. Psalm 90, verse 2. Even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. He's without beginning or end. And then He adds in, He's the one whose name is holy, absolutely pure and good, separated from all uncleanness, all impurities, all imperfections. That's what we've been preaching on to build up to this moment here. He's the one who dwells in a high and holy place. First Timothy chapter six, verse 16, if you want to mark it down. First Timothy six, verse 16. He is the one who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. So what ends up being magnified most in my life? What ends up being magnified most in your life? What ends up being magnified most in your life, you know, churns around in your brain, in your thinking. And thus it comes forth in your conversation, right? And so check things out in that way. Evaluate your own self in that way. What's coming forth in my, my mouth? Am I, a, am I tending to complain more? Or to praise more? To magnify Him or to magnify me? That's the challenge that we have. Okay? along with raising up 
high views of God. Number two, we need to recognize the value of brokenness before God. Recognize the value of brokenness before God. He goes on to say in verse 15, I dwell on a high and holy place. He is transcendent beyond all of all of what we can comprehend. And then he says, and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The more we as believers raise up the truths about God, about who he really is, and the truths about man and his sinful condition, the more we ought to be responding in true humility. See, we tend to think that when he talks about brokenness here or being contrite and lowly of spirit, it's like things have been, like with David in the Psalms. You know, well, things haven't been going David's way. You know, Saul's been after him and, and everything's going bad for David. And we think of it in, in terms of circumstances, and that's true. But also in regards to my sin and the condition and the consequences of my sin. That's what, that's the idea of what brokenness ought to bring about. You know, I ought to respond with a broken heart over my sin rather than over the conditions of my life. That's the idea in all of scripture. It's more about the condition of your heart regarding sin than just, oh, things don't go smooth for me. So the idea is that you and I would waken up to what lessons God has for us to help us to make things right with Him by trusting Him, by having faith in Him, right? So this idea of brokenness, obviously the world thinks this is folly, you know? Um, it's, it's a bunch of craziness to, to value brokenness. And it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to sign up for any more brokenness in my life. Do you? You want more, um, trouble, hard times, pain? We don't want that. And yet, what does God do? He takes the ashes and turns it into, here's beauty. Here's, Here's Christ-likeness that comes forth. Here's maturing in the faith that comes forth from the difficulties, right? God uses that. So, under number two, the idea of recognizing the value of brokenness before God, I, I need to acknowledge my sin problem. I need to acknowledge that. That's what truly brings about a contrite and lowly spirit as we recognize your problem is you and your sin. First and foremost, that's the problem. If I could just, you know, it's like we think, oh, if I could just get a good job and if I could just pay off all the debt and all that. You know, we think that's thinking on temporal surface levels. We're not going down deep and, and digging at the root problem called sin. Jesus addressed it in his first major message, didn't he? Jesus addressed it. 
in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the, what's the first one he said? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's a lot of translators that just, you know, translate that in a wrong way, I believe. It's inaccurate. I think what he's getting at is this issue of blessed are those that understand their sin. They're bankrupt before God. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Everything's not going my way. Woe is me. No, it's still on this line of your sin condition. Okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who, here's the response, hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's Jesus speaking. So acknowledge your sin problem. And then letter B, acknowledge His precious promises. Amen? There we go. Oh, we like that now. I don't really like that letter A. Acknowledge my sin problem. But yes, that's where you start. you got to start there. And then the precious promises are, guess what? They're more precious than you ever imagined when you understand, here's the problem of, of sin. Here's God's judgment on that. Here's what He did at the cross to forgive you and pardon you. And now here's these precious promises that mean the world to you. Okay? And this is, folks, listen. In Isaiah 57, 15, there's, a, um, there's this loftiness and then this lowliness. And guess who's there? God is there. God's there in the loftiness because he's, no one's like him. He is high above all else. And yet, with those who are lowly and of a contrite heart, what does it say? What does it say? He just leaves you. He walks away because, no, you're lowly. He's there. He dwells with those who are of lowly and contrite heart. Okay? And this is the amazing thing with God. This is what we can't hardly imagine. Why? It's like, oh yeah, I, I kind of get that God's lofty and way out there. I, he's so distant, I don't even... No, He's not distant because He's there with those who are humble and understand it's not just in a general sense humble it's humble in heart because of here's what i understand about my sin and how jesus paid the price for my sin and the response is one of who am i you know think with me as long as we're still on this point of brokenness, think with me about the, the way the world responds. The way the world responds is like the Tower of Babel. There's an example of pride. The Tower of Babel was what? Let's just kick God out of the scene and we'll build our tower and we'll be cool and we'll be right, you know, we'll be right with God. And then think of King Saul. King Saul. He, he chased after his own kingdom, his own agenda. He wasn't concerned with God. Then think of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he walked out onto his porch and he looked and said, look at all that I have done. See, those are examples of man's pride. And here this week, I am the greatest. He dies. 
Muhammad Ali. And the world lifts him up now. Because why? We have lifted up all sports heroes like that. And they're, they're our young children's idols. And many adult have them as their idols. And all the while, God's truth has not changed. It still is dealing with all individuals, great or small, in the same way. What have you done with Jesus in your life? What have you done with Christ Jesus? That's what Muhammad Ali will, has already faced. He's faced a holy and righteous and perfect God who has said to him, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Not what you have done with Muhammad. What have you done with Jesus Christ? And that's something that each and every one of us need to be aware of. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Is, is Jesus just another little file card in your mind? Or is he Lord and Master? Okay, so... All that to say, don't reject the brokenness and think poorly of the brokenness issues. Recognize the value that God brings about through your brokenness. And I, I know that is a hard one to swallow. But God will do his wonderful work in your life as you continue to trust him. And that wonderful work, point number three, receive the blessings of revival from God. That's what he goes on to say. I will dwell, uh, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit in order to, there it is, revive the spirit of the, of the lowly in order to revive the heart of the contrite. This is the big point. For the passage, for this verse, he identifies himself as the one true God for the purpose of reviving the person who humbles himself before God. Revival is God's work. It's not a scheduled event. Revival is God's work. And you and I as believers in Christ need to say, Lord, revive my heart. And that starts when you are spending time in His Word and responding to what His Word tells us through humility, through obedience, through sharing the Gospel, through numerous things of praising Him rather than turning it into self, into self-agenda. So, under number three, the design of revival is to revitalize. It's <laughs> to revitalize. Revitalize your walk with the Lord. And then letter B is to return you to spiritual health. That's the idea. Spiritual health um, doesn't just automatically get better and better and better. Young people, pay attention now. You talk to older people. And uh, you find out that older people are always complaining about achy joints or what else, folks? <laughs> we keep, we can just, you know why? Health is going downhill. 
I don't feel like I used to. I'm walking with the, the crick in my back or whatever it is. So it is with the spiritual realm. It's not just going to carry on by itself and get better and better and better. Now, number one, Christ, in, as, the, as we sang in the song, all I, hallelujah, all I need is Jesus. All I have is Christ. That's all we need. But the idea is this is a relationship that you and I are responding to by saying, I need more of His Word. I need more of what He has for me. So I want to understand that revival is His work. Now, with this in mind, you, you know, you, you, we can make up a little chart, if you will. On one side of the chart is the idea of your view of Jesus. We started with point number one saying, raise up high views of Jesus. But if we don't have high views of Jesus, then what do we have? Low views. We also mentioned about sin. Well, do I have a high view of sin? Not that that's good. I'm not saying it's a like, oh, that's good. I'm just saying, do you have a high view of sin that, oh, it's bad? That it's like a disease? It's worse than cancer? Or do you have a low view of sin and say, ah, it's no big deal. You know, we all sin. Don't you hear that a lot? <laughs> now, you mix those two. Your view of Jesus and your view of sin. And cross those together. The idea is that we would have a realistic view of ourselves in daily, listen, in daily need of His grace. And then regarding, you know, Jesus, does He have any limitations? Jesus abounds in what? Grace and mercy. So, we come to point number four, and that is to resolve to imitate Jesus. That's what Scripture tells us. Imitate Him. Walk in Him. We are not to merely think biblically. There needs to be the application of the truth so that we'll act biblically. Thinking biblically and acting biblically. And there's no perfection, folks. Sorry, you're not going to reach perfection here in this life, in this earth. But keep going in the right direction with the right thinking and then the right behavior that follows that. See, the Pharisees, they knew a lot, but were they humble? Were the Pharisees humble? Typically, no, they were not humble because they had their high view of God but they had their high view of themselves and they didn't think they sinned a whole lot. So we need to come to this idea that you and I are holding up high views of God, understanding our own true nature as is given in the Word of God. And then we say, Lord, strengthen me to walk with you. Strengthen me to imitate you. This is clearly seen in Jesus' teaching and in His, not just His teaching, but in His life. Okay? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. 
For even the Son of Man came, what? Not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. There's humility. That's his, one of his mission statements, and there's humility right underneath that. Our memory verse, all of you, who's that? All Christians, all of you, clothe yourselves in humility. All of you, thank you very much. You got dressed this morning. Glad for that. We clothed ourselves like we do every day. And so every day, clothe yourselves in humility and Notice what the next two words are. Three words. (laughs) Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. (laughs) This is how we act with one another. And here's contrary-wise here, where a church problem can exist. When people do not clothe themselves in humility, they come and their pride and their arrogance is sneaking out and growing and spreading. So all of us need to be alert for that, right? Okay, so here's three practical ways that you and I can imitate Christ and then thus walk in humility. And that is submit to one another. Under number four, letter A, submit to one another. It's called mutual submission. A sign of humility. Mutual submission. Not just that you've got it in your brain. Oh, I'm humble. Well, guess what? C.S. Lewis says, you know, I've got the quote here somewhere. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed, C.S. Lewis. And my friend... Throughout this month of June, we're going to be um, uh, talking about humility in different ways in our time on Sunday mornings. But I tell you what, most of you know, it is the most subtle enemy that I have, that you have. Your pride, my pride. The very thing that I uh, thought I was gifted in back in college days was the very source of pride in my life. And it keeps on popping up. It just keeps on popping up. And that's a sign that I need His grace in my life. I continue to need His grace in my life. So, a second practical response to imitate Christ is letter B under number four, serve one another. Submit to one another, serve one another. And isn't it incredible as you look at the Gospels and here towards the end of Jesus, you know, right before he's arrested and what are the disciples doing? The disciples are squabbling over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And I still have that, that sneaks up in my life in in different ways. Identify it and, and pull it out by its root. 
Admit it's sin. Admit it's pride. Even if it's a little weed. I've got lots of little weeds in my backyard. I want to go out and get them now. They're easy to pull out. Same in my heart, in my walk with Christ. Pull them out by the root and identify what they are and confess it to God. Okay, Serve one another. This is a true sign of greatness with Jesus when we learn to serve one another. And John 13 tells us the way he did it. And no, we don't have to go foot washing from door to door in our congregation. But the principle of serving one another is there. Then number, letter C. We go from submit to one another, serve one another, and then honor or prefer one another. In Sunday school class... I want to encourage you, if you didn't come to Sunday school class, join us at 9 o'clock. We're doing a great series through this summer. But in Sunday school class, we read the passage in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. It's about Christ. His example. And consider others as what? We consider others as better than ourselves so the question is, do you aim to, you know, be first? Do you aim to get first in line, like uh, uh, first in the food line, first in the gasoline station line, you know, all that? <laughs> What's the heart pulling at? And listen, this starts in your heart and it starts at home. If it's not happening at home, then we got problems. This idea of humbling ourselves Starts at home with your spouse and you pass it on to your children. And by the way, children are great at following examples, right? First Timothy chapter six tells us we brought nothing into the world and so we cannot take anything out of it either. And so why in the world do I act in a arrogant way? When the Bible says, hey, Swenson, you didn't bring anything into the world. What did you bring into the world? Stop and ask that question. What did you bring into the world? You brought nothing into the world. Absolutely nothing. And here's the blessing of God that keeps coming, that keeps coming. It just doesn't stop the blessing of God. Do you see that? And so we say, I, I really deserve that, huh? No, it's a gift. Life is a gift. And so we, we thank God for this. And we remember, it's about Him. So we want to we encourage you. Clothe yourselves in humility. Let's pray for that and let's see the revival that God brings about. Okay? Jerry Bridges wrote in his book, The Practice of Godliness, if we are to experience the blessings promised to the humble, we must work out this humility in our daily relationships to others. Daily work these things out. Remember the Spirit 
The Holy Spirit does not make me humble. Who's called to be humble? Humble yourselves. Yes, the Spirit can bring conviction to cause there to be a humble spirit. But you and I are responsible to humble ourselves. We must learn humility. And we do so through the renewing of our mind with the Word of God. And then, Lord, help us to take action with it all. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I'd like the men who are coming uh, for serving communion to come at this time, please. And we want to encourage you, uh, take heart right now to pray. And uh, if there's something that isn't right with you and God, confess it and claim God's forgiveness. Okay? Yeah, money. And uh, ask Him to Cleanse your heart. The communion service and the participation in it is not for perfect people. It's for broken people. And people that humble themselves before a holy God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that He died for all. He died for all. That they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again. And then later on in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that He, God, made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And then Peter says this in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were healed. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Let's take a moment and just have a quiet time right now and then we'll pray and then we'll distribute the elements.